Monday, December 6th, 2017, my home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I want you to imagine that it's March and you have just attended the funeral of a beloved family member. You're, in this case, your grandmother, someone that you knew to be a vibrant, caring, uh, loving person, someone who loved you as her grandchild um, unconditionally. She has passed away in her 80s, and at her wake, your father pulls you aside. Now, the person who has passed on was your father's mother. And so he's pulled you aside and says, now I need to tell you something. This experience is what I had in 2012 at the funeral or at the wake for my grandmother, whose name was Mary Catherine. She was a widow. Um, her, her husband, my grandfather, Bud, had passed in 1993, and she lived until 2012. My dad pulled me aside at her wake and said, now you need to know the truth. And he told me this wild story that I had never heard before. He had told me that when he was an infant, his father had gone over to the apartment of his mistress and in what may have been an act of violence, beat her down and stole the child that she had had with him. So he had had an affair, he had gotten a teenage girl pregnant, and they had a baby boy. He had reconciled with his wife and had decided to snatch the child away from its birth mother and bring him home to his wife, and they would raise him as their son. And he had told his mistress, you will never see this child again. That is the opening scene of my book. It's a true story. Like I said, my father had told me about this in 2012, and today was day one for me writing the review draft of my manuscript. I wrote more than 2,000 words. I started at 5.30 this morning, uh, took a little break for breakfast and to drop my son off at daycare, and came back to the manuscript and wrote half of chapter one. And I call it the kidnapping scene. I describe what it was like for um, my grandfather to go over to the apartment where his mistress lived and to essentially kidnap uh, their son. Now, you may be wondering, can, can a parent actually kidnap a child? Well, I, I believe yes, and I also believe that um, you can be charged with kidnapping and be tried and convicted for that crime, even if you are the parent of that child, if you've taken that child against the other parent's will. And in this case, that's what appeared to happen. So I wanted to hook readers in with that particular scene. Um, it's Obviously, it's very dramatic. And, but to be honest with you, in previous drafts, I did not use that scene as the lead, as the opening hook. And the reason why, in previous drafts, I had approached writing this creative nonfiction novel in a more journalistic fashion. That's my experience. That's what I know. And the writing, the prose, to be honest with you, yes, it was compelling, at least in my opinion, but it was also very dry. The original opening to this book was, again, a very journalistic look at the moment that my grandfather and his mistress walked into a Catholic hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio, 
lied about their identities for some reason. Knowing what I know about that particular hospital, it's Good Samaritan Hospital in Cincinnati. They had opened their doors to everybody in the community, regardless of what their religious background might be. But nonetheless, for some reason, I'm guessing because they wanted to hide their identity, uh, my grandfather had led his teenage mistress to a hospital, to the maternity ward of Good Samaritan Hospital in September 1956, and there she gave birth to my father. I was very compelled by this because there's a mystery surrounding the motivation. As I understood it, my grandfather was separated from his wife and uh, had gone to live with his mistress and had promised his mistress, I'm going to divorce my wife, we're going to have this child, and I'm going to marry you. So why lie? Why lie to the hospital staff about what your true identity is? I, I don't know. And I'll talk about how I know they lied about their identity in another version of this podcast. But nonetheless, I had used that scene as the hook, and for some reason, you know, it just didn't do it for me. And uh, in a recent draft, I decided, no, I'm going to start with the kidnapping scene. And instead of writing it in a journalistic fashion, I'm actually going to take it deeper. I'm going to feel it more. I'm going to imagine what it must have been like on that night when a 34-year-old man, a railroader, an ex-Marine, barges into an apartment occupied by a teenage girl uh, and her infant son and snatches that child away from her. What must that have been like? Now, I have never, of course, experienced the kind of physical and psychological violence that must have taken place inside that apartment that night, but I can't imagine it. And that is essentially what I've done. I, I've, I've imagined what it is like inside that apartment on that particular night. There are no witnesses to this crime. No one is alive today who can speak to what happened inside that apartment. I'm at a bit of a disadvantage as the writer of this story, but I can use my imagination. And I'm going, and I'm going to be upfront with readers. I'm going to use an author's note and explain to them that much of what they are about to read is taken from my own imagination and my own understanding of the events that surrounded my father's kidnapping. And I think if I'm up front with the readers, they will understand and give me some leeway to write about scenes that happened long before I was born, that have no witnesses, and legends have grown up around them. I was, I've been encouraged to do that in part by a book called 40 Autumns. It's written by a former U.S. intelligence officer uh, named Nina Wilner. I recommend you read this book. Um, wonderful narrative. Um, and she describes what life is like behind the Berlin Wall, behind the Eastern Bloc in East Germany following World War II. Now, Nina was not born then, uh, but she does describe the life of her grandparents in wonderful detail, and it is like reading a novel. When I read that book, it kind of opened my mind and my creativity to writing scenes in my book, my story, much like Nina did, as if I was there, as if I'm writing a novel, even though I didn't witness it and nobody else actually witnessed the crime. 
So wonderful start today. Um, again, I, I wrote more than 2,000 words. Very excited about the direction um, and this hook that I have. I can't wait for you all to read it. So today was day one. I think it's going to take several weeks, and I'm going to be uh, doing this Creatively Genuine podcast every day to talk about the stories behind the story. And now I'd like to read page one to you. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope this helps give you a sense of where things are going. So this book is told in, in three parts. And the first part focuses on my grandfather, whose name was George Pigeon. Everybody called him Bud, though. So part one is called Bud. Um, I focus on his life between World War II and um, about the 1950s when he begins to have this affair with a teenage girl. I'll share with you, too, that it's not just his narrative that makes up part one. I also weave in here the story of me and my father. Our relationship has tension between it, um, not unlike any adult parent and their parents, but there is some uniqueness between my father and me. And of course, he doesn't know, but I was engaged in an investigation into finding his birth mother, that teenage girl who had lost her child. Um, so part one, though, the hook, the lead here is this kidnapping scene, and I would love to read to you the first page and let me know what you think of it. Chapter 1, Cincinnati, Ohio, February 1957. My father's kidnapper struck just before midnight because that would have been the logical time for such illogical cruelty. At about 11 or 11.30 that night, he likely finished working a double shift at Riverside Yard, frozen in February callousness on the north shore of the Ohio River, where he was employed as a conductor for the New York Central Railroad. Once he coupled the last rusting brown car to an outbound freight train, he would have gone into the yard office to wash off his hands, then climbed into his sedan and drove in the dark eastward toward downtown Cincinnati. What the 34-year-old kidnapper pondered as he navigated through a valley of warehouses and hillsides covered in shabby row homes is anyone's guess. I doubt, knowing the man as I do now, that he wrestled with a single thread of remorse. Perhaps for a moment or two, as he passed the red doors of some unlit Catholic church, he considered the risk to his soul, but a man in perpetual conflict with the Almighty would have considered his plans that night as a way to put right what God had screwed up. The kidnapper wanted a son. He believed he and his wife deserved a son, and they'd come so close in the past to having one to raise as their own, but death had swept in in the last hour and swept that child away. The lights of downtown Cincinnati's few skyscrapers, the Carew Tower and the mausoleum-like Fourth and Vine Tower, with its Greek-inspired columns the most prominent, sparkled out the sedan window. But the kidnapper's purpose was to bypass the glamour of downtown for the shadowy hill which loomed to the north. The city streets wound steeply upward, and with a few turns, the perpetrator steered onto Ohio Avenue, a narrow street leading uphill toward the city university. When he reached the 2300 block, he found an open space on the side of the avenue where he could park, 
shut the car off, and stepped out into the winter cold. The avenue sat quiet and dark. A few lights shone from the windows of the various homes, most of them two or three stories high, built decades ago, but otherwise not another person could be seen walking the sidewalks or smoking on the stoops. The kidnapper was alone. He stood six feet tall and slender in the way a railroader and an ex-marine recently discharged wood, the freckled arms toneless but firm, the shoulders broad like a middleweight boxer. He looked even more menacing with an impressive shock of reddish-brown hair rising above a rectangular-shaped head, the only comical feature being the jug-handle ears protruding from either side. His face with its dark eyes, unremarkable nose, small mouth, and narrow recessed chin would be handsome one moment, joyful the next, and frightening in another, with seamless, sudden transition. If I'm right in believing he struck on a February night in 1957, after finishing his shift at the railroad, he would have arrived at Ohio Avenue in a denim coat covered in rusty dirt and black grease, denim overalls, and deeply creased brown, steel-toed boondockers. ashamed to admit to you that I'm a little daunted by the task ahead of me. I've written so many different versions of this story uh, called For Him I Sing. It's uh, The title comes from a Walt Whitman poem. I spoke about it in a previous podcast, so uh, check out Creatively Genuine on iTunes or at Google Play, and you can find previous episodes. So the story is called For Him I Sing, and I am feeling a little daunted because I've written versions of this manuscript before, but to be truthful with you, I don't think I have ever felt like I really followed through. And now, now I feel like I need to. Um, I've been at this for so long now, and I feel like I've got the story, the tone, the, the narrative, everything is in, is in its right place. And now I'm going to find out what I'm made of. And I think if you're a writer... And especially if you're an aspiring writer, um, well, you know what, not just an aspiring writer, but I think this goes for published writers as well. Um, you've got a book. It's an idea. It's, it's something in your heart, your soul, your mind, and you set out to write it in the hopes of having it published and having people read it. But you know what? Um, it, there, there's always a, a moment of self-doubt. This, this, question of whether or not you can truly follow through. And that's where I'm at right now. And that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast. Actually, we're calling it a blogcast um, because it's a, it's a lot like a daily blog, only it's in audio form. Um, so every day I plan to update you. Sometimes I'll read passages I've just written. Other times I want to tell you about the stories behind the story, how I found out what I found out or the impact it might have. Maybe go into a little bit about the creativity, why I've written a passage the way I have. Um, ask you to share your thoughts, maybe offer some tips, hopefully some inspiration or help uh, if you are finding yourself on a journey much like mine. Um, I also like right now, I do want to take a moment and thank all of the family history, ancestry, um, uh, genealogy, genealogy experts who answered my question yesterday. Now check out that podcast. If you will, it's yesterday's episode where 
I pose a question to a number of genealogy experts out there on Twitter that I've followed and come to know and admire their work. Um, and I ask them, what do they love? Do they love the pursuit, the research, or is it the resolution of that research, the end, the discovery, which do you love? And they had some great answers. I retweeted them. So if you're on Twitter, check out North Arch DP. Uh, you can see their answers there as they, they, a lot of them wanted to take some time to think about it and then provided their answers. And I think that's something I want to do every now and then on the Creatively Genuine podcast pose questions. You know, maybe next time I'll find some experts in Cincinnati and have them share thoughts about uh, about the city, um, because so much of this story takes place in Cincinnati. So thank you, of course, for uh, tuning in here to Creatively Genuine. I hope uh, you enjoy it, and uh, we'll keep on keeping on. Uh, back at it tomorrow morning uh, with the 5 a.m. Writers Club. Uh, I will be up before the dawn, and I want to finish chapter one, because um, I'll, I'll share with you real quick. As you know, chapter one begins with my father's kidnapping. However, the danger for my father that night was only just beginning. So I hope that hooks you in to check out things tomorrow. Until then, I'm Dave Pigeon. Thank you for tuning in to Creatively Genuine.